0: When I was growing up, uh, our house was heated by a wood-burning stove, and so since we lived out in the country, my dad would cut down all the firewood necessary to heat our house and to throw into the wood-burning stove. Uh, And When my dad would cut the wood, my sister and I had the job of stacking it, and there's many, many uh, intervals of stacking. So first, my dad would cut down the trees, and we'd have to stack up the, the wood, out in the woods, so that he can come with the tractor, and we could throw it in the wagon. And then we had to stack it in the wagon, so we unstacked it from the pile we made, and then we stacked it into the wagon. And then we would take the wagon over to the woodshed, and we would take it from the stack in the wagon, and then we would stack it up in the woodshed. And then eventually, that wood would dry out, and we would need it in our basement. And so we'd unstack it from the woodshed, and we'd put it in the back <laughs> of the truck, and we bring it out of garage, and we throw it down into the wood chute to our basement. And can you guess what we did once the wood was in the basement? Larry, no, we stacked it. <laughs> we stacked the wood again in the basement. And then eventually we unstacked it out of the wood room in the basement and we threw it in the fire, where actually it was kind of stacked in there. But uh, And then it finally burnt up and heated the house. And as a kid, I felt like this was an awful lot of unnecessary stacking. We would stack those same sticks of firewood um, four times, according to my count, if you didn't count it throwing it in the fire, too. And I knew why some of it, the stacking was necessary, but then a lot of it felt like busy work. It was just like kind of something to keep us busy. Why couldn't we just throw it into the basement, into the hole in the basement, and leave it there in a pile? Uh, Who cares if it's nice and neat before we throw it in the fire? It doesn't care. I don't care. Um, It's just going to get burned up. And I think I may have been onto something with this, because after my sister and I left the house, you know what my dad stopped doing? he stopped stacking the firewood in the basement. There's just a big pile down there, so he takes it from the pile and puts it in the fire. But I think he just liked it being neater and it gave us something to do, job security or something, I don't know. Um, but we've all experienced the frustration of doing something where we're like, I don't know what the purpose of this is. This just feels like busy work. I don't know why this matters. I don't know what the meaning of it is. Um, and we're, when we have busy work where we're just kind of like doing something, we don't see why we're doing it, it can lead to kind of grumbling and complaining and frustration and Um, being like, I don't know why I'm doing this, and no motivation for why we're doing it. And so we're going to just take a minute. The concept of busy work leads us into thinking about, well, what makes us feel like something is meaningful? What makes us feel like something has purpose? Like there's a reason behind why I'm doing this. So let's just brainstorm a bit. When do we feel like what we're doing matters? What causes us to feel like this thing matters? Benefit from us Yeah, this benefits me, so that's why I'm doing this. It matters, because it benefits me. Yeah. Or somebody else doesn't have to know. Oh, yeah, it benefit, yeah, benefits someone. Yes. Yeah, so that lets us feel like, this matters. I'm doing this for a reason. Maybe you, you feel a yeah. sense of joy. In sense anything. of joy, yeah. So, sense of joy, like, why do I do this? Why do I, I like it. I feel joy when I do it. Yeah mandatory could be mandatory we just got done talking about busy work so we're like okay busy work we usually are like but mandatory it could be like oh, I'm doing this because they asked me to maybe there's job security or your teachers like you don't do this you're not gonna pass so it's kind of mandatory so mandatory could sense of duty like a soldier might do what they're doing from a sense of duty so put mandatory or duty yeah because in some cultures, um, it's not very high in ours. Um, like duty and honor, doing what you're supposed to do is like a big deal. Um, it's not a very big deal in the United States. We usually, I mean, at least for most people, we feel like, well, duty, that's kind of lame. I want to do it if it's fun or like it brings a benefit to me or something like that. So, what else makes us feel like there's a purpose behind this? There's a meaning behind it? Can we know the outcome? Maybe. Maybe you know the outcome. So, there's uh, results. You know what the results are going to be? i mm-hmm. uh, not a spell. Uh, or results, I'll put. Yeah, like maybe there's. Like why would we work out? You know this stinks. <laughs> Working out is kind of weird too because we just move weights around and then put them back where they were. It's like I didn't even do anything. Um, but we're like, why do they move all those weights around? Why do I put myself in pain? Well, we have an outcome we're wanting to get, or we have results we're wanting to get in a certain way. Or maybe why would, why would you practice you know softball so much? It's like why would I throw this ball the same way over and over again? Well, because I know I want to be accurate when the you know time when the time comes. Yeah. Any other reasons? Kind of similar, but if it's a necessary step towards a bigger goal. Okay. So you, you know, you have it's like a big picture you know maybe. Yeah, you know the big you know. picture, and you know the little goal. thing that has to get done. Goal. Um, big picture. Yeah, this little thing seems really inconsequential, but I know in the big picture, like it's kind of like a domino effect or something like this. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Maybe there's other things we could think of and other reasons that um, we would feel meaning in doing something. And I just want you to keep this in the back of your head. Well, how do we feel when we're doing something that has meaning? And maybe we already hinted on a sense of joy, but how do you feel when doing something that has meaning? And this evening, as I said, we're beginning this sermon series called Explore God, and, and we're actually not the only church doing this. The the latest count I heard Is that there's about 815 churches in the Chicagoland area that are doing this one sermon series. Either well, they're either doing a sermon series or a discussion group um, about exploring God around the same questions. And and when we think about well, what's meaningful and has purpose? Exploring God is the most meaningful thing that we could do with our lives. And tonight we're talking about purpose. And purpose is this interesting feeling I've been thinking about purpose ever since uh, this knowing that we'd be covering this message and. It's interesting that two people can be doing the exact same activity and yet feel a totally different sense of purpose in that activity. And on the other hand, two people could be doing totally, two totally different activities and yet be doing it for the same purpose. If they had the same big picture in mind, two different activities done for the same purpose. And here's another example. So how many of you are familiar with the show Dirty Jobs? Host with the host, Micro Discovery Channel. I don't know. Does it does air anymore. I don't, I'm not sure. You can find like all of it on YouTube though. Maybe. But um, he spends his day basically being an apprentice, uh, doing like dirty jobs, like things that maybe we would never even imagine were a job in the first place. And in 2008, he gave this talk um, where he taught, was sharing his perspective about the show. And one of the interesting observations he made was this. He said, "People with dirty jobs are happier than you think." As a group, they're the happiest people I know. And then he comments that he's worked alongside people who do unthinkable work. And he mentions that roadkill picker-uppers whistle while they work. And we you know, we're driving by and we're like, wow, well, who would want that job? You know, we might be like, you know, like, would you rather be picking up roadkill or whatever it is? And then he's saying, people that are doing those would you rather jobs, like they're some of the happiest people he knows. And when we watch shows like Dirty Jobs and see people doing that, it, we may think well, that, they must really hate what they're doing. And yet, as Mike Rowe observes, they're some of the happiest people that he knows. And on the other hand, we may look at a famous actress or a successful CEO or a big-time athlete and think, wow, they must feel really good about their life. And that yet, if we talk to them, they might be totally unhappy and not really see even a purpose for why they're doing what they're doing. And purpose is much less about the what and much more about the why. And so you notice somebody picking up roadkill be much happier than somebody playing in the Super Bowl and so it's not about the what it's about the why and even the most dirty insignificant what's can be done with a sense of joy and satisfaction if a person has the right why and purpose comes from having a sense that what we're doing matters and purpose comes from having a sense that we matter that our lives are making a difference that what I'm doing what I'm spending my hours doing matters and purpose comes from knowing the why of our lives why am I here why am I doing this and so Tonight we're going to explore this one big idea and it's this if you like taking notes living for what matters or sorry living for what matters most gives us the most purpose living for what matters most gives us the most purpose living for what matters most gives us the most purpose and isn't it interesting that inside each of us there's this deep sense that we were made for something there's almost nobody that you talk to. Maybe they'll, you could talk to some people and they'd be like, I don't have purpose. But yet they want it. We all want purpose. Once we lose a sense of purpose, we kind of lose hope. We kind of lose a drive for living. Like, I don't know what this is all about. I don't know what I'm here for. And sometimes we don't, when things happening to us, we say, I don't know what the purpose of that cancer was. I don't know what the purpose of that job loss was or, or whatever it is. And we're going to be covering that in a couple weeks when we, why does God allow Suffering. You know, if there's a God, why is he a lot of suffering? And so sometimes we're like, I don't know what my purpose is, or we're like, I don't know what the purpose of that thing that happened to me was. And purpose can get us through the tough times, even when things are difficult or not as good And Some of you this evening need to rediscover your purpose. You've lost your purpose. You've lost the why for living. Everything feels like busy work. I'm just doing it, and I don't know why. You don't know why you're here, and you need to rediscover purpose. And some of you this evening need to redefine your purpose. Purpose comes from knowing what we're doing matters. And the question is, well, what matters most? I'm sure we all agree that there are many things that matter. Health matters, family matters. But what matters most in our priority list, what matters most? And so as we consider purpose and what matters most, we're going to look at two characters in the Bible. So first, let's begin with a man named Paul. And maybe you're very familiar with Paul, maybe you're not familiar at all, but uh, in the first century, 2,000 years ago, Paul lived and he knew his purpose. He was a Jew and he was trained under one of the best teachers um, to give his life to being a religious leader for his nation, the nation of Israel. And his whole goal in life was, I want to obey what God says in my Bible, which his Bible was the Old Testament, the first half of our, or not first half, first two-thirds of our Bible. And so he said, I'm going to obey everything God says in here, and I'm going to teach everybody else to obey what God says in here. That was his purpose. And why did he want to do it? You know, we talked about what's the outcome or results or goal. He knew if we obey this, God says he's going to bless us. And so he gave his whole life to obeying what God said in the Old Testament and teaching other people to obey that as well. And he was so committed to this that he would go to almost any length to protect his people from going astray from God. So when this small group of other Jews started talking about a guy named Jesus in ways that made him equal with God, Paul took notice. And Jesus' followers were going around saying, Jesus is the king that God always said he would send to us. He's the king that God said he would send to us to save us. And we've been waiting for him and now he's here. And Paul knew with many other people, Well, that Jesus died. He was nailed to a wooden cross by Romans, ashamed and bloody and naked. Jesus' followers, the most peculiar thing is they weren't even denying this fact. They weren't saying, well, that's fake news. They weren't trying to spin it. They weren't denying it. They were saying, this is actually part of our message, that Jesus died, that the king has come and he has died. And the reason he died, the reason it's good news is because he died to save us all from our sins. That's what we needed saving from. And to Paul and many others, this sounded like foolishness. A dead king who died shamefully at the hands of the Roman Empire? What what is this? This is foolishness. Why would God allow his king to die? And their foolish message didn't stop there. Jesus' followers were saying that Jesus didn't stay dead. He was actually raised from the dead by God. And now he's seated on a throne next to God as the ruler, as the king of the entire world, of everything. And so not only are they saying this king that God sent died, but then he came back to life, and now he's ruling over everybody. And so to them it just sounded like foolishness. And to Paul's ears this was dangerous. This was going to lead people to stray from God. These people were elevating this mere man to be equal in authority and power to God. He's sitting next to God on the throne ruling over everything, and he's died for our sins, he's saved us. That's what God's supposed to do. God's the ruler of everything. How dishonoring, how blasphemous. And Paul saw his purpose clearly. If I'm going to protect my people and help them obey the Bible, I need to extinguish this group. And so Paul oversaw an effort to find, capture, and execute people who believed in Jesus. You can read about this in Acts chapter 8. But one day that all changed. Jesus, the man whom Paul thought was a fraud and a fake, appeared to him. And so Paul, this guy that he's saying, you guys are lying about him being alive, he is dead, and he's not a king, All of a sudden this guy who thinks he's dead appears to him and then his whole world gets turned upside down. His whole purpose got flipped on its head. And instead of living to literally kill off this movement of Jesus followers, he was now willing to die for the purpose of making Jesus known. And he dedicated the rest of his life to that purpose. And then in this effort, Paul wrote letters to other people who are following Jesus. He wanted to encourage them. He wanted to teach them and help them to follow people. And in one of them, he sums up his new life purpose. We're not going to flip there. We'll flip to some other passages. But if you want to write it down, it's Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Paul says this, To live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. That's Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. His whole life purpose was summed up in one word. Christ. You want to know what my life is about? Christ. To live is Christ, he said. And, and Christ is—it's Jesus' title. Um, essentially, means King Jesus Christ or King Jesus. And later in chapter three of that letter, he's, he goes on to say, you know what? Knowing Jesus, nothing compares in value to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Knowing him is the best thing I've ever found. And I find extreme joy in knowing Jesus. He's like, this is the best thing that I could ever have. And so he says, living for Jesus is my greatest purpose and my greatest joy. And so, you know, wherever you're at coming in tonight, you know, maybe all of us, you know, even if we've been a believer our whole lives, maybe we're like, okay, Paul, got gone a little overboard, dude. Like, you're kind of making this Jesus thing, this church thing, this spiritual thing, a little too... Uh, much a part of your life. Maybe we'd say, sure, Paul, you had this religious experience of some sort that changed your life, and now you're living for Jesus, and that's all good for you, and you're finding a great joy in that. But that's not for me. I find joy in other things. But the thing is, Paul doesn't just say, hey, I found this thing, isn't this great? He says this is universal for everybody. He believes the joy he's found in knowing Jesus is for everyone. In fact, he thinks we were made for it from, from our birth, to our death, and In his letter to the Colossians. If you want to write this one down too, Colossians 1:16. Uh, in his letter to Colossians, he writes this about Jesus in chapter 1, verse 16. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. In Colossians 1.16, Paul is saying all things were created through Jesus. Everything owes its existence to him. Nothing that exists today or ever exists without Jesus. But it's not just that we owe our existence to him, that he like kind of wound things up and just kind of lets us go off to whatever we want to do. It says that our life is supposed to be all about him. All things were created through Jesus. and All things were created for Jesus. Our Purpose, our why, our meaning is found in Jesus. We exist because of him and we exist for him. Now Paul came to this conclusion that what matters most in life is not a what, but a who. Living for who matters most gives us the most purpose. And he came to the conclusion that Jesus made it matters most and he gave his life to that. But did Jesus, maybe that's Paul, but maybe things kind of got distorted along the way. Maybe Jesus taught something different And then along the way, you know, the church and Paul and other people kind of got a little too excited about it. And Jesus didn't really want us to focus on him. He wanted us to focus on other things. But then along the way, people got really eccentric and were like, yes, let's make it all about him. Let's, you know, glorify him and worship him. Um, So the question is, did Jesus want people to make their lives all about him? Did Jesus want people to dedicate their lives to him? Did Jesus think that he matters most? In a moment, we're going to flip back to John 17 that we read earlier. And so if you want to find that, um, John chapter 17, um, starting in verse 1, we'll flip that in a minute. But many people try to make the claim that all the religions of the world are basically the same. Love other people by treating them like you want to be treated. And lots of people want to say, this is what sums up Christianity. This is what sums up every religion. But while Jesus certainly said that this is important, and even said it's the second greatest commandment, loving your neighbor is, you want to love yourself. He did not say it's what matters most. And earlier we read John 17, which is part of the last conversation and the final lesson that Jesus gave to his disciples. In John 17, the whole thing is actually a prayer. Jesus is praying for his disciples sitting in front of him. And he says, I'm praying for everyone who will follow me from their teaching in the future. And he prays some pretty audacious things here. So if uh, if you found John 17, chapter 1, Jesus says this, in the first two verses, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given him. And so Jesus prays that God would glorify him. In other words, he asks that God would show people how much he matters. You know, can you imagine that prayer? God, you know, please show people how much I matter. That's what Jesus is saying. God, Father, glorify your Son. Show people how much I matter. And he also claims that God has given him authority over everyone. And included within this authority is the power, the right to distribute eternal life. Jesus is like, I've got it and I distribute it. And many believe that Christianity is all about getting eternal life. And they're correct. But we usually don't define it correctly. When we think of eternal life, what do we think of? What's the first word that comes to your mind? Eternal life. Resurrection would be one, yeah. Uh, heaven often comes to mind. Eternal life, it's resurrection, it's heaven. Everything we think of, it's future. Heaven, resurrection, um, living with God. Uh, if you believe in Jesus, you get eternal life, which means you get to go to heaven and not to hell. And that's what we often think of. But it's a weak definition of eternal life based on what Jesus says here. Jesus gives us the definition of verse 3. He says this, And this is eternal life. That they, may, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life, Jesus says, is knowing God and knowing Jesus. According to this definition, when does eternal life start? It doesn't start sometime later. It starts as soon as you know Jesus, as soon as you know God. It starts, if you know him, if, you know him, if you've known him for 10 years, if you've known him for 5 years, if you've known him for 20 seconds, it started then. That's when eternal life started for you. Because it's not some destination we get to or some future that is being given to us. It starts right now. It's found in that relationship with Jesus, in relationship with God. And in these verses, Jesus makes it all about him. He asks God to glorify him, to to show people how much he matters. He claims to have authority to distribute eternal life to people. And he says eternal life is all about knowing him and knowing God. He makes his important equal to God's. You know how many of you would be quite weirded out if I said, you know what's equally as important to you is knowing God, it's knowing me. You know, you should make your life all about me and knowing about me. And Jesus says that me and God, we are equal. He's the Son of God and he's God the Father. And he says it's about knowing me. So let's turn to our second passage, Mark 8, 34-38. That's on page 844 of the Bibles we have here. So Mark eight thirty-four to 38 Page 844. As Jesus' disciples are coming to understand his importance, um, he tells them they m- what they must do if they want to be his followers. And so let's read, starting in Mark 8:34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whatever is, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. To everyone who wants to be his follower, to everyone wants, who wants to be his disciple, to everyone who wants to call themselves a Christian, to take on the name of Christ, Christian, Christian, Jesus says, here's the requirement, lose your life for my sake. Deny yourself, die to yourself, give your life totally to me. And the word we use in our church is surrender. Jesus says, surrender your rights, surrender your plans, surrender your desires, surrender your entire life to me. Put it into my hands, give me control. And if that isn't making it all about himself, I don't know what is. Our big idea this evening is that, is that living for what matters most gives us the most purpose. Living for what matters most gives us the most purpose. And here's two truths we've learned about purpose from the scriptures we've looked at. Because Jesus matters most, living for him gives us the greatest purpose. Because Jesus matters most, living for him gives us the greatest purpose. Because Jesus matters most, living for him gives us the greatest purpose. And what gives him the right to make life all about him. It's because of what Paul told us in Colossians 1.16. All things were made through him and all things were made for him. A car maker determines a car's purpose. A toaster oven maker determines a toaster oven's purpose. A shoemaker determines the shoe's purpose. A human being maker determines a human's purpose. If we want to discover what life is all about, we need to look to Jesus through whom and for whom We were made. And so, first, because Jesus matters most, living for Him gives us the greatest purpose. Second, because Jesus matters most, living for Him gives us the greatest joy. Because Jesus matters most, living for Him gives us the greatest joy. Living for what matters most gives us the most purpose, and living for what matters most gives us the greatest joy. And purpose gives us joy because we feel that what we're doing matters. Notice how Jesus doesn't say lose your life to me so you can be miserable. Now, don't we often think, well, Jesus, you just want so much from me. You want me to give up all the fun things in my life. Do you want me to give up all my time and all the things that I like doing? And Jesus is saying, uh, no, lose your life so you can find it. Lose your life so you can save it. Gaining the whole world doesn't compare to what I'm offering to you. What is it worth if you gain the whole world? Yet forfeit your soul. I made your soul. I know what it's designed to do. I know what you're designed for. I know why I put you here on this earth. And Jesus said in John chapter 10, I believe in verse 10, that he came so that he can give abundant life. He came so that he can give us an abundant life. And that's not defined in our terms. It's defined in his terms. An abundant life of knowing him. And knowing Him, he says, is eternal life. And notice how Paul didn't say, well, I gave my life to Jesus and now I'm pretty bummed about it and everything is boring. Uh, he doesn't say that. If you go look at Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, knowing Jesus is worth far more to me than anything else. He doesn't say, he says in comparison to Jesus, everything else is rubbish. He doesn't say that uh, everything else is actually rubbish. Your marriage isn't you know, rubbish. You know, I don't know why it's translated as that. We're not British, but um, you know, garbage. You know, it's just total garbage. Um, so it doesn't say your ma- marriage is garbage, or your kids are garbage, or your house is garbage. It's like all that stuff is just garbage and not is worthless. He says, in comparison to Jesus, it's like it's garbage. He's like, I found the thing that's just better than anything else. And he says, when I as I do this, it just gives me great joy. If you read Philippians the whole letter to the Philippians, he's writing it from prison. It's a letter where he says, I guess I don't know the statistics, but he says over and over again, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. The big theme of that letter is joy. And he's saying, I have so much joy, and you should have so much joy because we have Jesus. And he's writing it from prison. He's been put in prison for telling people about Jesus. And Jesus says that we gain by losing, and Paul discovered that as well. But the problem is, that we make other things matter more than God. And there's a lot of ways to look at purpose. You can say, well, I find purpose in my work or purpose in this. But I think it really comes down to relationships. We were made for relationship. God is relational. God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit. There's a relationship there. There's a community built within God himself. Um, And so when he made us, he made us relational. He made us male and female um, in the very beginning. And so when we think about living for someone, I think it's about... Three different relationships. So here's three options for who you might be living for. We can live for ourselves. We can live for ourselves. We say the purpose of life is to do what makes me happy. Other people exist to make me happy. And God actually exists to make me happy. What's God's purpose? To make me happy. Give me the things I want. And so then when other people fail to make us happy, we get angry or disappointed with them and you've perhaps met people like that. We call them narcissists, that everything is about them, that you guys all exist for me, you all live for me, and when you're not making me happy, now I'm mad. But the problem is we all have a little bit of that in us, because imagine when our kids don't do what we want them to do, or our boss doesn't do what we want them to do, or our employees don't do what we want them to do, our friends or our siblings, whoever it is, when people don't do what we want them to do, We say, this is about me, this is about you people doing what I want you to do, this is about you making me happy and my life easy, and I'm mad that you're not. And so we all have that in us. But secondly, we can live for others. So we can live for ourselves, we can live for others. And we can see that the purpose of our life is making others happy. But you'll notice that this still comes back to us, because why do we live to make others happy? Well, it makes me happy when you're happy. And so I make you happy and it makes me happy. And so it still comes back to us. It's all coming back To our happiness. And so what happens when we live to make others happy, they don't respond like we'd like. They don't give us the gratitude and the thanks that we'd like. They don't treat us back how we've treated them. Well, we get upset. We get disappointed. And we get angry. And so even if we're like, yeah, I live for others to make them happy, still we're upset because we're doing it to make us happy. And when they keep, you know, just throwing it back in our face or they keep just taking everything from us and not showing any thanks, we're like, well... uh, I don't really like this anymore, and so now I'm mad at the people that I'm supposed to be living to make them happy. So it all comes back to us. And I find it interesting. I have this little book that I brought. This is story time. <laughs> this will probably take like 60 seconds or. The Rainbow yeah, the rain. Does anybody know this book? The yeah. Rainbow Fish. Yeah, I really like this book. I read it to Hudson. So let me read this quick. And the Rainbow Fish was the most beautiful fish in the sea, but he never played with the other fish. I'm too beautiful, he thought. So you check it out. All the sparkles. Oh gosh, I missed a page. Mm-hmm. There we go. Once, Hudson never notices, but you guys would. Um, once a little blue fish asked for one of his shining scales, but the rainbow fish just laughed. Never, he said. After that, the other fish swam away from him. The rainbow fish was all alone. He went to the starfish for help. Why doesn't anybody like me? he asked. Go ask the octopus, said the starfish. She is very wise. I don't quite know. This just seemed like a filler page. It's like he doesn't even get an answer here. But I also think this shows the value of perseverance. Okay, I didn't get the answer in the first place. Go to the next one. The octopus said, Give away your shining scales. You won't be as beautiful, but you'll have friends. I can't do that, cried the rainbow fish. Suddenly, the little blue fish was back. Please, he said, could I have just one scale? Now, I think most of us know what's coming. We wouldn't like the book to be like, no, go away, loser. <laughs> and, and the lesson of the book is keep all your scales for yourself and you'll be happy. No, we all we all can agree intrinsically that I think we're made to live for something beyond ourselves. We all know the value um, and the dignity and the worth of living for something other than ourselves. And so, well, the rainbow fish thought maybe just one tiny little scale. The little blue fish was so pleased, made the r- rainbow fish feel happy. Soon all the fish came and the rainbow fish gave away his scales one by one. Finally, he had only one shining scale left. But now as he swam off to play with his friends, he was the happiest fish in the sea. And so he learns to live um, for someone other than himself, and it gives him happiness. Instead of hoarding it all for him, it gives him this happiness. And it also doesn't end with You know, and all the other, the little fish he gave his scales to were super ungrateful, and so he just went away grumpy anyway. (laughs) But if they were, he would have probably been displeased. Like, I gave my scales away, but still no one is my friend. That would have been a pretty lame ending. But the issue is that people are very inconsistent in how they respond. um, Because we all have in us this desire to live for ourselves. And so even if you do something to make them happy, it's, well, sweet, now you did something to make me happy. That's what it's all about anyway, and so... You know, I don't really have to give you anything back. And so people are very inconsistent. So lastly, we can live for God. We can live for ourselves, we can live for others, or we can live for God. We can live to make God happy. We can live to please God. And God is always consistent. God doesn't isn't fickle um, and wavering in how he responds. If you do something that he's said to do, he's not going to ignore you, or he's going to be pleased with you and happy. And it's not that God needs us, it's that we need him. We were created by him And for him. And that means what makes us happy, uh, what makes us happy is, I said this wrong. That means that what makes us happy is making God, oh, no, I said that right. So what makes us happy is making God happy. When God is pleased with us, it always still comes back to us. Because remember Jesus says, he doesn't say like, hey, give it all up so you can be miserable. He's like, if you really want to find life, um, if you really want to have an abundant life, give your life over to me. He's like, if you really have self-interest, if you really are thinking about yourself, the best thing for you to do is give your life over to me because that's when you're going to find true love and true joy and true peace. And it's in, it's in living for God that we find our biggest and deepest purpose because we are made for a bigger purpose than living for ourselves. And we are made for a bigger purpose than living for other people because each one of us was created by God. We weren't meant to find our purpose in each other. We are made for a bigger and better purpose. We're made to live for God. And we need to live, if we want the most purpose and thus the most joy, we need to live for what matters most. But I also recognize that some of you have come in here and you've had the experience, or maybe right now, that you're not really living for joy or for happiness because some of us live to avoid something. Some of us have a boss um, that is domineering and controlling and yells at us. And so we what we do, what defines the why of our day is to avoid being yelled at, to avoid getting in trouble. Or you've perhaps grown up um, with a parent who is overbearing or who went off the handle if you did the littlest thing. And so you're like, I'm just going to live so I don't get in trouble. That's my whole goal in life. And that's not living for joy or for happiness. Um, It's living to avoid pain or suffering. and It's living afraid and not for joy or happiness. And the good news is that God calls us to live for something better than that. He doesn't call us just to live for him so we can avoid punishment or not be afraid or avoid pain. He calls us to live for him to experience the greatest joy we could ever have. And long ago, there was a church leader named Augustine who said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And our lives are restless until we find our rest in God, until we find our purpose in him. We're made by God and for God. And the They wonder, well, why did you just have to die? He could have just come and talked about purpose. Why did he die? Well, he died because we all fail to live for what matters most. We all fail to make God the most important thing in our lives. And because of that, it's like if you lived in a kingdom and the king is like, hey, uh, you have to swear allegiance to me and you get all the sweet benefits of this kingdom. And then we're like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to do my own thing. And I still want all the benefits. It's like, well, no, you're going to go to prison or you're going to get kicked out of this kingdom. And that's the issue. We've all said, God is like, I matter most. Live for me in my kingdom. I'm the king of this place. I created you. I created you to live for me. And then we're like, yeah, I'm going to do my own thing. And refusing to give allegiance to our king, um, to God, it comes at a penalty. And that's why Jesus died. He paid that penalty. Knowing God and knowing Jesus is eternal life. And rejecting God, rejecting Jesus is the opposite, eternal death. And so Jesus died the eternal death, being forsaken from God, um, so that he could bring us back to God, so we can once again know God and be reunited with him and live for our purpose. And so we may wonder, how do we start living with a redefined purpose? Um, so just take a moment, right, if you have notes, if you like taking notes or just in your mind, write these three words in your bulletin, self, others, God. Self, others, God. self, others, or God. And I'll circle the one that matters most to you, yourself, others, or God. And be honest, no one's going to see it. Uh, which one do you live for? Or you can think about it this way. I spend most of my time doing what would make blank happy. In that blank, whose name is it? Is it your name? Is it your spouse's name? Your boss's name? Your kid's names? Or is it God? Is it Jesus? Now who's in that blank? I spend most of my time... Doing or thinking about what would make blank happy. And if you want to start living for God, it needs to matter most to you. And the person who matters most to us is going to be the person who controls our lives. Because we're always going to be thinking, well, what do I need to do to make them happy um, so that I can avoid pain? Or what do I need to do to make them happy so I can feel happy? And what, you know, that's the person we're going to live for. And so to start living for God, um, you can start asking each day, God, what do you want me to do today? You know, how much would that simple prayer change our entire life if we didn't start the day thinking about all the things we need to do, but think about the things that God wants us to do? You know, so that simple prayer, God, what do you want me to do today? And perhaps you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Um, you know, how, our Father, hallowed be your name. You know, your name is the most important. Your name matters the most. You matter the most. And then thy kingdom come. I want your kingdom to come, not my kingdom. I don't want people to serve me. Thy will be done. I want to do your will today. I don't want to do my will. I don't want other people to do my will. I want to do your will today. And we can ask God, what do you want me to do today? What would please you in this situation? What decision would make him happy? So as we close, we've been talking about purpose. And I've been speaking, assuming, God's real, and God speaks today, um, and that he's, this Bible, this book, is trustworthy. Um, and that brings up the question, well, you're kind of assuming that God exists. Um, what if he doesn't exist? That's Everything you said is fine as long as God exists. Um, and each of the questions for Explore God kind of builds on each other because it kind of starts at the end and then works back, works backwards. And so is there a purpose? Well, I just told you all about purpose, assuming God exists. And next week, we're talking about, is there a God? Um, Can we have any confidence or have any indication that God exists? Um, So it would be great if we all got together for that and explored God more. Let's pray. Father, thanks for our time together in your word. Thanks for these great examples of Paul um, living for you, giving his whole life for you, and of the joy he felt, uh, satisfaction he felt in that. Would you help us to live with that same purpose that, and experience that same joy uh, because we all are so easily led astray by our, our own desires, our own desire to live for ourselves and please ourselves. But Jesus tells us that if we really want to be satisfied, we really want to be happy, we want it, really want, we want to experience joy and peace that we will live for him. So would you help us to do that? In your son's name we pray. Amen.